0: we <laughs> yo guys how are we doing today welcome back to the perfect tactic podcast i'm your host Taron. today we have a football special with another special guest on the podcast i've been coming in clutch recently getting all different guests from different communities we've got a journalist on we've got tom Overend. we've got marius fisher obviously on the podcast but today i've got a good friend of mine from we've done a few live streams together on the other side of the coin i've got rj good things as his name goes by on twitter rj how are you doing today mate and are you looking forward to being on the pod today
1: Oh, mate, I'm very excited, Taryn. As you said, we've had a couple of live stream sessions together with our good friend Miz on the other side of the coin. And <laughs> once I got the invite from yourself, mate, I was more than buzzing to be invited. So thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, no, I'm really excited to have you on as well. I feel like the live streams we've had, I've kind of said to you quite a lot of times. So I think that it actually works really well with me and Miz and we should kind of do a show together or something. I think it's, it's really good. But yeah, let's go to Ivan. Ivan, how are you doing today, mate? And how are you looking forward to being on the, on the podcast today?
2: Yeah, obviously brilliant as well. You know, love to talk about football. That's the passion, you know, that's that's our desires, that's what we love to talk about. So yeah, always excited as ever, town, I know you are as well. So let's get straight into it.
0: <laughs> yeah, good man. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it as well, you know. Podcast once every three days, you know, it's gas in at loads of football topics, Chelsea <laughs> winning games, everything's going good. But yeah, I'm just gonna start with talking about RJ. We'll go into Chelsea a little bit later, but let's start with RJ's kind of second team that he's been supporting. And I just like to know about different teams from around the world. So let's start with a bit about Inter Milan, RJ. I just want to know this season, obviously, Inter are top of the league. They look better than they have since in many years since they had a long dominance in, in Serie A. And yeah, they're doing really well. They're ahead of AC Milan, Juve, Lazio, all really good sides. Lazio have a really good squad. Juve, whether they have an inexperienced manager right now, they still have Ronaldo and loads of good players. And yeah, there's there's loads of really good sides in the league in there. So I just want to ask you. Do you think that Inter kind of have what it takes to kind of break Juventus' long reign and win Serie A this year?
1: It's a really great question, and I'm a proud Nerazzurri fan. As I'm <laughs> not sure if the audience is fully aware, but I have Italian heritage, so loud and proud. Although I'm from <laughs> Sydney, Australia, so I'm not fully Italian, but have enough in my blood. To your question, do I think the Inter Milan team of this season have enough to break the? Terrible Juventus rain. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I have a few Juventus friends who will give me slack for this after, I'm sure. But look, to be honest with you, I felt last season we had enough to break them down, but we were just not clutch enough in getting mm-hmm. those decisive wins when i mattered because we pulled off big performances. But I've drawn some parallels to Inter Milan and some other teams across the other leagues where mm-hmm. they have the capability in their squad to win the, on the big nights. But it's just getting that relentless execution and winning yeah. on a consistent mm-hmm. basis. Whereas I think this season, they've probably gone one notch further in winning some of those games that they might have drawn last season. Yeah. But it's still a long way to go. So I'm a little bit non committal at this stage. But based mm-hmm. on current form and some of those results I just spoke about in terms of winning the ones where they might have drawn last season. I can't see why they they can't take the next step. It's just a bit of injury dependence as well. But touch wood, we get there in the end.
0: Yeah, touch wood, touch wood. But I feel like with Inter as well, they've looked really good with this new system. We know a lot about Antonio Conte, won the league at Chelsea and did really well in that first season with his man management, his really different tactics. We didn't see a lot of three at the back systems in the Premier League before Conte kind of came in. He kind of revolutionised uh, revolutionized the Premier League quite a lot. So, yeah, we know quite a lot about Conte. Do you think that Conte's tactics are like they have what it takes to win Serie A? Because I know it's a really tactical league and a lot of people talk about the Serie A being much more tactical than the Bundesliga, the Premier League. We know that they're, they're all quite physical leagues, but Serie A is mostly based around like the little details in the in the parts of the pitch. And do you think that Conte has the detail in his tactics to to get past some of these other really detailed managers as well?
1: Yeah, and I think he probably enjoys these tactical battles because I think when he came over to England and obviously won with Chelsea, it was a new type of experience for him to get up to speed with the pace and physicality of the league. Yeah. But coming back to his mother country, and you've got to rewind the clock back as well when he was manager at Juventus and helped them win those titles to really yeah. reassert their dominance, obviously being an ex-Juve player. So he had a lot of affinity with the club. So he's been there, done that in terms of having won the tactical arm wrestle over his fellow countrymen in this area. Yeah. So I do think he does have what it takes tactically to take this inter-team back to the top, and we've seen this season where they've started off with a really like they've had the three at the back. That's not the surprise, but the little slight tweaks up towards yeah. the midfield midfield and attacking area. So rather than a three four one two sort of setup, it's really mm-hmm. gone for the most part now the rest of the season in a three five flat two. yeah, and yeah. that sort of so really getting that stability across the middle parts of the mm-hmm. pitch. And I think that's really helped him with players like, Hakimi, they've been they've really come on strong this season out of that attacking outlet. And of course yeah. when you've got an informed Lukaku up front with a young Martinez that's firing and mm-hmm. in recent times we've had Sanchez that have really come in and help add to that attacking impetus. So far, the whole team's really contributing. So long may it continue.
0: Yeah, <laughs> long may it continue. A really good catcher seals <laughs> you here a lot. But yeah. on... <laughs> um, yeah, on that topic, we've seen in Conte's second season, in the 17-18 season, he tried to switch to a 3-5-2. We saw him with kind of Fabregas, Matic and Kante in the midfield and kind of Hazard and Morata as a front two. But in that system, I feel like you need a big tug, man, like Lukaku's. Like, mm. we tried to get Lukaku in 17-18 and Murata didn't really fit that system, if you know what I mean. He seemed to kind of, he wasn't very good in, in his hold-up play. He lacked a little confidence, but Lukaku is going to be crucial. But now I'm just going to move on to come some of these individual players into Milan. I want to talk to you, Arvind, about, I know you're a big Bayern Munich fan. I haven't really mentioned that to you, RJ, yet, but Arvin is a huge Bayern Munich fan on the podcast. So <laughs> I want to know a little bit about Hakimi from you, Arvind. He's a huge player for Inter Milan and... He's perfect for Conte's system, you know, a box-to-box uh, right wing back, a huge upgrade of me watching Moses at, and 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 the Conte, I'm sure that Hakimi's is much better than Victor Moses was, but yeah, Arvin, I just want to know about how key um Hakimi is in kind of being that key uh, player on the wing for Inter Milan and helping them to reach the title.
2: Box-to-box right wing back, that's a bit of a Yeah, box-to-box right wing back. <laughs> yeah. No, um I feel like when Inter first signed Hakimi, obviously, like, I was like, wow, I, I didn't expect Inter to sign Hakimi, you know, with even uh, Bayern Munich being linked to Hakimi because we needed a new right-back. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but when you look at it, when you think about Conte's system and stuff, he actually fits very well because <clears throat> under Dortmund, really, obviously, you had your date, James Sancho's, and they played the three at the back, and he was always on that right-hand side, but he had the, he had the guy, well, he had the... Um, was it uh, he was allowed to bomb bombard forward and he got quite last season in Bundesliga got five goals and ten assists. So, mm. along with him and Rafael Guerrero, obviously, I don't know who interplay on the left, uh, like hand side. I think it's Ivan Perisic or it can be Alexis Sanchez or even Ashley Young sometimes. So, um, yeah. yeah, so I feel like them two, uh, the right wing back and left wing backs always have that guidance to sort of you know you can bombard for because we've got you know the likes of Brozovic you know tracking back obviously Burler's coming back so yeah Hakimi in that system I feel like defensively he can be a bit uh, suspect but going forward attacking I mean his pace everything you know he's he's very good ball playing he's a bit of, mm-hmm. reminds me of Cancelo in that, in that sort of department where he can play on his feet but he can also you know go over yeah. that, bombard for get played in behind I feel mm-hmm. like that sort of the player that Inter are looking for, really, under Conte, I feel like he did the same with Victor Moses, especially on that right-hand side, where he was just given the allowance to just go forward and score. So, yeah, Hakimi, he's got six goals, four assists um, this season. So, you can clearly see that he is getting involved. And, you know, with this crossing as well to like likes of Lukaku, Martinez, you know, these are all complete, you know, uh, dominant strikers, which he, can f- which he can feed off and he can feed them. So... Yeah, it works. It's a it's a marriage, really.
0: Yeah, basically, I I was thinking like Hakimi. I thought he would have stayed at Real Madrid because Carvajal wasn't very good last season, and Real Madrid are looking a bit short in the fullback areas. Furlong Mendes is looking really good on the left, but I feel like he should have he could have stayed at Real Madrid. But that's a great signing for Conte, and he's going to be crucial. But I'm going to kind of move on to. The Champions League side of of Inter Milan. I know RJ isn't gonna be too happy to talk about the (laughs) the sad news that this is quite a while ago, but I just it's crucial to have good runs in the Champions League for the confidence of your players. The top top teams in Europe always have done big runs in the Champions League, and they're always up there with the likes of Bayern Munich, Barcelona, Real Madrid. So RJ, let's get on to kind of the really sad news when Inter crashed out the group stages to, you know, Real Madrid and Gladbach. I really thought they'd get through maybe even as group winners, Real Madrid. Haven't looked that good this season. Glad back. Obviously, there's a bit of turmoil going on with Marco Rose at the minute. So it is not looking great for both of them teams at the minute. Did you, were you like surprised Inter went out or were you kind of thinking this team's kind of concentrating on the league at the minute and it's not the end of the world?
1: No, no. I don't want to sugarcoat it. It was disappointing. And that's what I was, when you said, let's talk about it. I was going to jump in and say, let's not talk about it. But <laughs> <laughs> I just stick just to be perfectly candid about it, I thought they were very underwhelming in that campaign. And I did think that they had a group where they could have made some progress, like just breaking it down and looking, like you said, Real Madrid weren't in the best of form. You got Moccian Gladwell, you got Shakhtar. It's just, it was just one of those situations where they weren't in a good period themselves. And I think there was a little bit of a domestic distraction going on because I think, Conte probably looked at the change happening at Juventus with Pirlo coming in and thought, this is probably the time to strike, so maybe we focus there. But -hmm. that doesn't excuse their sort of underwhelming efforts. And I think it's the way they started the the campaign on the back foot, and then they Mm -hmm. they just couldn't quite recover it from there on in. And I think at the time, when I was looking at the midpoint of the campaign, it happened to come in during a really tricky sort of set of fixtures in the league yeah. and, I, and I dare say that he probably did prioritise it. I don't think I don't think that he would publicly admit that, of course, because he's a mm. winner across all trades. But I dare say that one eye was definitely on trying to reel in the UVs and especially AC, who had a good start. Mm-hmm. But I think Conte's had a difficult um, challenge with navigating in Europe generally. Even we had it with ourselves, we had it with Juventus. So I think the Champions League He's a tough nut to crack from his point of view. So I think that's something he'll be focusing on from next season onwards because it's just one of those things that continues to elude him.
0: Yeah, we saw at Chelsea as well. I always kind of bring everything back to Chelsea because that's just how I am. But like we yeah. saw at Chelsea, we got to Barcelona in the in the round of sixteen and 17, 18. and we we played right in the first leg. I thought we could have scored Willian had a few chances, Hazard had a few chances, but in the end we just fell short. And I feel like Conte's always prioritizing the domestic campaigns, which I feel like it's okay because next season, maybe Conte, he does look like he's a bit long-term for Inter at the minute. So next season, he can really push for the Champions League and put all of his eggs maybe into that basket because imagine Inter Milan in the semi-final and if a final again, that'll be great for the club. But like, yeah, let's just kind of move on from Inter Milan a bit, guys. I just want to go, in fact, completely away from Inter Milan. I'm going to talk about the Premier League a little bit with you guys now on some hot topics that are kind of going on in the Premier League. And I don't usually like to talk about this topic a lot on my own, maybe. But I'm going to talk a little bit about VAR because it's really getting on my nerves recently how some decisions are so inconsistent. Some teams are getting completely screwed over by VAR, some some small teams. And the bigger teams are kind of getting away with it. So I'm going to start with you, RJ, on this one. And I just think that the handball instance at the minute in in, in English football is just a joke. We've seen Mary Lamina. His hands were out of size and it hit him, and the goal was disallowed for for Fulham. We saw obviously Eric Peters against Bukayo Saka. His arm was completely in the air, an unnatural position, and quite far away from the ball. He touched it, and it wasn't even a pen. It wasn't even looked at by VR. But I just want to ask you why do you think that VR is so inconsistent in the Premier League?
1: That's the million dollar question, isn't it? Because (laughs) I put a poll out the other day on Twitter about, and I was truly baffled with some of the interpretation and that's where the nuance is it's really interpretation of some of these controversial decisions because I look at these situations and those two you highlighted and what what I think worries me the most is the fact that you're getting such a divide in opinion whereas you you know previously you'd have some controversial calls but more often than not, people say, oh, that might be a really difficult one, but I think we can agree on X was the right decision. Yeah. But the fact that we're getting pundits from across different various sources, we've got you know social media and all different sets of fans saying 100%, that should have been a penalty or that one mm-hmm. there, no way. The fact that we're getting such a divide in opinion and we're supposed to have upgraded technology it's not the technology that's the problem for me. It's the, it's the implementation of it. And yeah. rather than reducing human error, we're actually widening the gap. So it's a little bit of a concern. And I would probably, and I know it's something that was highlighted in the questions that you received. So maybe I don't want to delve into it at the moment, <laughs> but I, I think it's just really worrying guys. It's I don't want to make it all doom and gloom, but it's not going to ruin the league or whatever. But what it does do is put a nasty stain on it because I'd rather be talking about some of the great goals or great pieces of defending and key moments of the game rather than should have been penalties or should have been red cards, etc.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's a joke at the minute. We expect such a high level in this league, you know, like the most watched league in the world. So many people watch it. It's, it's such an entertaining league at times. And I even think before VAR, it was it was a bit better. But also, you could say that VAR has helped a lot of decisions, um, some really tight cycles. It has actually helped that as well. But yeah, there's a lot mm. of room to improve in that department. And you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. It's it's going to take a bit of time. But you know, it. I reckon it'll be good next season, in my opinion. But Arvid, I want to get your opinion on this as well. As as a regular Bundesliga watcher, you watch a lot of buying games, well, all buying games, other Bundesliga games as well, um, big games and other games in the league as well. So I just want to ask you. Obviously, the level in the Bundesliga for VAR is considered to be a lot better. The refs seem yeah. to have a better control on the game. The way the technology is used is much better. So I want you to kind of answer why do you think this is, that it's better in other leagues and compared to the Premier League?
2: You know what, yeah. Um, just just going uh, off this, when, when VAR was first implemented as like sort of a trial run in the Bundesliga in the 2017-18 season, it was like sort of branded the trial season, whatever, for the World Cup. I can to this day I can only think of three controversial decisions that were made by VAR, like off off the head. But that that's it. And the thing is, the thing is in the Premier League is that you have ref, you have referees obviously. So some referees are okay, but, but they experience they experience, and that's the problem. I feel like the the use of VAR is not is not correct because when. Obviously, referees—they—they were, they were actually encouraged this season to go to a monitor and stuff like that. So when um, players, go, when the manager, sorry, when the referees go to a the monitor, they're like, okay, they can make this decision. But it's—it's it's blatantly obvious. But the thing is, you know, I've just seen recently that IFAB have changed the handball rule. But how many times are you going to change yeah. the handball rule? Because it's only confusing the referees. So mm-hmm. with that, it's—it's it's a bit of a mix of everything, to be honest. Because obviously, VAR. In the Premier League, after that, VAR is an opinion. And even even when the Premier League, when the lines get drawn out, it doesn't really leave a good sign that... Okay, things are made clear because people then interpret. Oh, the lines weren't even drawn on properly and stuff. So I don't know why. I don't know why the Premier League insists, mm. insists on even on even showing uh, these these pictures. But anyway, we did we did actually see with the Chelsea's decision on the goal against on the Verna's goal against Liverpool that it was actually offside. But the way it was shown on Sky Sports, it was like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. you know, the arm, the arm, like how you're not going to score with your arm, are you? So I feel yeah. like especially in VAR in the Premier League, I feel like it's more of an opinion than it's a fact. I feel like when... OK, I, I know why VAR was... If VAR was implemented to... Give the referees the fact of if they weren't unsure of a decision that they had to make, let's say, okay, if they hadn't seen something or something's gone missing, they will, VAR, the people in the VAR would call down to the referee to say, okay, you missed this, give this pair of red card. But the thing is the VAR, in, the people in that room don't do that. They don't do it. It's supposed to, the VAR is supposed to be a fact to help the referee say that this is the right, and it's only given, it's only giving the referees advice saying, okay, he touched it with his hands, but then, but then it was unnatural or something like that, but they need to make the final call. Yeah, and then and then it leads to about two or three minutes wasted within the game, and the fans get frustrated, and you wonder why people don't want VAR in the, in the league because these things like this happen. Obviously, I can commend that some referees, some decisions do take ages. Like for example, if they were really tight offside calls, if you're offside, you're offside. You know, they, I have no argument with that, but it's just the fact of. Var is should be a fact. It should tell the referee when it's unsure. You know, referee should communicate to VR saying, "I'm unsure. Did it touch his hand, or did it touch? Was it offside, or was it not?" And the, the communication between the two is just not right. It's it's not there. That's that's my opinion.
1: Yeah, it's a good like, point. I think so. i just add to that. and sure. I know we chatted about this, Taryn, on, on a pod that we run with some local friends. It's called It's a Football yeah. Thing. And they have a Manchester United fan. We have an Arsenal fan and myself as a Chelsea fan. But we were, we were all in agreement, funnily enough, on these VAR controversies, or I shouldn't even say VAR controversies, just some of these decisions themselves.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: one of the things that made us think about was perhaps there needs to be more transparency or more communication from the officials. Because I know that when we're watching some of these games, and I know this happens across other sports, is that you can hear the thought processes or the the considerations being made from those making these decisions. And even if you don't agree with the decision, at least you have an understanding of what their thought process was. And that helps at least give you a bit of perspective as how they arrived at that decision. But when all you see is a bunch of visuals and some hilarious lines on the screen where you don't see anything (laughs) and you just see a a ref go to a monitor, but there's absolutely zero communication. It just gives you as a fan a sense of frustration because you want to know how they turned up at that decision. And I'm not saying like Lewis Dunk said the other day about why did the refs get protected in their bubble and they don't have to come out and explain themselves. Maybe that's a solution. Maybe that doesn't help them. I don't know. But what I do think will help 100% is some form of transparency in the decision-making process, whether it's in-game time or at the end of a game if they have to explain themselves. But either way, no communication at all is very frustrating from our point of view.
0: Yeah, I was talking about this a little bit on outside of the coin the other day, the match review after Liverpool. Like On football Twitter, you see a lot of like pictures and stuff like that kind of describing the, the right angle so, you can see if it was offside or not. But when you're watching the game as a fan, it like ruins so much emotion from you. Like, uh, you know, RJ, I don't know if you know this, I'm a huge Timo Werner fan. So, when I kind of saw that Werner's goal, when I saw it first of all, to me, like before the replays, just as he was running through, I thought 100% he's on the side. There's no way from the camera mm. angles that they're showing that Timo Werner was offside. But when I found out he was offside by probably about an arm per hair or something, it like ruins the whole emotion of the game. and... It's just not the same. Football is not the same as it used to be, you know. You can't just celebrate. It just ruins the whole game. And even when Mount scored, I was I was really gassed, but not as gassed as I should have been, you know, because I was just so annoyed at Team of Ernest. And I feel like they should show the fans the exact right angle. There should be more camera angles in on the pitch to kind of show the exact right angle if he's offside or not not these horizontal lines you know which clearly look on side but if it if they showed a straight angle of timo verna i would have agreed and i would have been like you know it's fine but it took so much explaining so much investigation on football twitter to find out the right thing and for the highest league in the world the most money pumped into this league instead of pumping money into advertising campaigns all these other things that aren't as important the main thing is the game in the end the main thing is the game is the game the best as it should be with the technology? And right now it's not, and it has to be. They need to pump more money into this at the minute. And it's just it's a joke as as a fan and as a Premier League fan, as a Chelsea fan. I know we have got a lot of decisions that have gone our way recently, but still like I want to see a fair game and a good game at the end of the day. But yeah, we've kind of gone into AR quite a lot now. I'm gonna kind of I'm gonna kind of move on from this topic a little bit. But stay in the Premier League. RJ, I'm gonna talk about Chelsea with you a little bit now. You know, RJ is a huge, huge Chelsea fan. Uh, rise for the Chelsea social and I was reading RJ's article yesterday and he came up with some really good points as his, his, February, his February review monthly piece so RJ I'm going to start with talking to you about Chelsea's defence recently so it's been really really good obviously our defence has solidified so so much on the two call. we see early in the season October November that our defence was really really good we were keeping clean sheets but still that was a kind of fear like in the Wolves game Everton game that something was going to happen at, at some stage but To be honest, right now, I don't really feel like, as a Chelsea fan, that we're going to concede a stupid goal. We're going to concede a counter attacking goal because our defence just looks solid. You know, two goals conceded in 10 games, seven shots on target from the likes of Felix, Suarez, Martial, Fernandez, Rashford, other big names. And it just looks really good at the minute. But I just want to ask you, RJ, obviously, we do have some new individuals playing at the minute who wouldn't even make the squad like three, four weeks ago. We have the likes of Rudy Christensen, Azpi all starting in the back three other than Tuchel's new regime. So I just want to ask you, do you think that the improvement in defence is more down to the individuals or do you think it's solely down to Tuchel's defensive system?
1: Yeah, great question. I think personally it's a little bit of both because
0: we've
1: got to recognise some of these players were frozen out. There's no getting around that. And Frank had his reasons and even before him, the managers before that also had their reasons for not playing certain players. And that's fair enough. We don't know the inner working, so we just got to respect that and move on. But credit to these guys that have come in in recent times, and the two in particular we want to highlight, of course, as part of that defense, are uh, Andreas Christensen being in the middle of the back three and Antonio Rudiger on the right hand side of that, or the left hand side, sorry, of that three. I just think Tuchel has come in change the system obviously to make us a bit more solid at the back but complementing that I think he's just given these guys a real huge shot of confidence and when you get that confidence let's recognize that these are quality players at the heart of it who might not necessarily have been playing to their potential now I'm not saying that they're absolutely the best center backs across the league or across Europe but the way that they've been playing since Tuchel's come in they've scarcely put a foot wrong. And I think that's a credit to both themselves in the way that they've been able to bounce back after being frozen out, but mm-hmm. also the way in which Tuchel's been able to inject that confidence in them and really trusted them to do a job. I do think also that they get some protection as well in front of them from the midfielders that yeah, are sure, picked, yeah. which is great. So it is mm-hmm. a team effort. So when we talk about clean sheets and the two goals conceded, et cetera, that's all very well and good to say that great job defense but it's also a great job as a system as a whole that the team's contributing to that so I think that's important to sort of flesh out as well Mm -hmm. yeah yeah
0: yeah with that I think that our defenders there, in my opinion they're all system players for me personally I don't like Azpilicueta playing as a as a right back in a back four. that's just not for me I don't think he has the the box to box, as I like to say, Arvin. I don't think he has a box to box capabilities really, as a as a Reece James or someone else. But in a back three, these players look so different. And as a three under Lampard, even when Christensen, Reading and Azpilicueta were playing, they played well in a back three, and we were keeping clean sheets back then. But yeah, I think that they definitely do have a vote confidence from the manager. I'm sure Christensen has put his arm round, not Christensen, sorry, Tuchel's put his arm around Christensen and kind of said, you know, I do believe in you. I wanted you at PSG. You're a really good defender. You're you're built to play in the sense of a back three, but it just comes down to the worry for me that when we kind of change systems, maybe under Tuchel, we know he's not a three at the back manager to a 4-3-1, a 4-3-3, a 4, three, three, four, four 2 4-4. Four, four, yeah, all these different four formations. But for me, it's the worry that are Antonio Rudiger and Christensen the players that can play for us in that in a back four, and whether we need to uh, whether we need to strengthen later on. But right now we're playing really well, and we always have five players back at all times. We have Georgie Cover who tend to sit and just recycle possession. Prevent the counter-attacks, as we've seen. We've been quite weak over the years from counter-attacks. But yeah, Rudy, Gazpi and Kristen tend to just sit. And we look really solid on the counter-attack. As I said before, I'm not really worried anymore of, of quick strikers getting in behind. We saw Minamino once. That was just a blip. But yeah, we we do look really solid in the minute. So I want to ask you, RJ. We, we touched on this a little bit with Kishan and, um, and Miz on other side of the coin the other day. So I just want to ask you, do you think we need another centre-back at, at Chelsea Football Club to kind of strengthen like a Van Dijk, Ruben Diaz kind of figure? Or do you think that the players we have on loan, like Ampadu, Tamori, Gurhi, all these big players, and the players we have now, do you think that under Tuchel's kind of defensive solidity we've seen so far that we're kind of okay or we need someone else?
1: Yeah, it was a really great discussion that the other day and I think you picked up on something in terms of priority of investment and you correctly highlighted that perhaps the centre-back should be one we do keep our eyes on. Just to build on from that conversation, I think for me, it's really just about observing the next period. That's going to really help inform yeah, whether yes. or not we do need to go to market. Because, in other words, like we said, two goals conceded in the 10 games he's been in charge. And not only that, people say it's just all about black and white clean sheets. That's the outcome. But for me, yeah. what's more encouraging from our defensive displays is the amount of chance, the lack of chances and actual shots conceded. So the chance created. So as a defensive unit, collectively, we've been very strong. So if we can continue this throughout the, through the end of the season, and I dare say we do finish top four <laughs> and make a, a deep run in the, in the cup competitions, then the natural question is, do we really need to go to market because the players that have come in have proved themselves over a good sample size period of time, but complementing that, are some of those good pieces of talent that we do have loaned out in the marquees of the world. Perhaps your Tamoris, if he doesn't get bought by AC and Perdue, of course, I know he didn't have his best game the other day, but he's been on the whole pretty good. So for me, if you're asking me right now, I'd say, I don't think we do need to go and buy center back at this stage, because I'm also banking on the fact that we can maybe squeeze another season out of silver. And also we can't forget, we've got another very capable defender who was a hot property earlier and now has fallen out of favour in Kurt Zouma that he could very well come back in at some point. And who knows, if he does come back in, he might then string together some good performances and therefore you have another reliable French international defender on your books. Yeah. So I don't think we necessarily need to go to market, but it's very much watch this space based on the rest of the season.
0: Yeah, it's going to be crucial. We We always kind of forget that we have... Big games, we have Leicester, Man City and Arsenal all in a row next month or April, I believe. And we could have a big Champions League run, touch wood, touching all the wood in my room right now. Hopefully we have a big Champions League run, get far in the FA Cup a little bit. And yeah, this, it's a big, it's a, it's a judgment time of the season. And you know? teams that aren't serious kind of fall off here. Are West Ham going to stay in that race? Are Everton going to drop off a bit? Are Leicester going to be able to push through with the likes of Daniel Amate at centre-back? I'm not sure, but... At the minute, it's looking good, and I'm okay. But if Rudiger Christensen start to, you know, make them characteristic errors, yeah, there's always a mistake I kind of feel with these defenders. But at the minute, it's looking really good, and I'm happy. But Arvin, I'm gonna go straight on to you as soon as you've come off mute for a bit. I'm gonna go straight on to you a little bit about more about the Bundesliga. I know you are Bundesliga man. You are Bundesliga born and bred. So I want to ask you about Thomas Tuchel's defensive tactics when he was at Dortmund, as we knew that he played a kind of fluid attacking style mm-hmm. with Roy Stembele, Mikatarian, and Gurtzer, not Brandt. Um what do you call him? Castro, that's the one. They had mm. they used to have these really good attackers of fluid. So under Tuchel, was were they known to be strong defensively? How did they kind of defend in that system? And do you think that we'll see something similar to that at the Chelsea, or do you think it'll be a bit different next season?
2: If I've being honest, his his tactics his defensive tactics are like dormant, especially or let's just say you know they they leaked a few goals you know a couple in a in, in a game or two but yeah regardless um talking about uh just going back on that Chelsea factor as well um no next season I feel like he will try to put his own stamp on the team again so the tactics I, I think we can expect to see a lot more attacking fluidity next season I but like right now it's just a case of you know, getting getting the players on side, you know, getting a good forming a good run together and um getting the best of not what he has, because Chelsea still have a lot of quality, don't get me wrong, but yeah. they're not exactly his players. So you you never know who he might want or who he might not want. So yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. we, we can't make that call for him. So I feel like I don't think they'll sign us I am not sure about the defence. I feel like he will definitely move to a back four next season because he will try to put his own his own ethos on the team, so um, I think next season we can expect a few more goals scored. Um, a bit leaky defence because Adormand, he was always used to playing uh, a gegenpressing with a, with a very high line yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Stuff, and stuff like that. You know the one that we're used to. So we're not seeing that at Chelsea right now. I feel like we're seeing more of um, more of a conservative uh, form of play. You know possession. You know weighing for that chance, waiting for the goal like you did against Liverpool. Um, not United, uh, Spurs, <laughs> and uh, and Atletico. So uh, yeah, I feel like we can expect more t- to see more of that uh, throughout the rest of the season. So you know, um, playing the ball around, waiting for the opportunity to arise, to and then, and then boom, one nil or whatever. So mm-hmm. I feel like uh, next season will definitely be the season where Tuchel pushes on and you know gets all the attackers. Otimo like Werner uh, makes some mount. You know, I, I don't know who else is going to come in. Erling Haaland. There's been a lot of talk about that, but I, I can't see him move to Chelsea. I don't think. I, I think he'll stay at Dortmund for another season. So, um, yeah, it depends, really. But I think Tuchel will change the whole dynamics of the team. Where Christensen, Rudiger, Aspi fit into that, I'm not sure yet. But, you know, he right now, he's he's doing well with the players that, you know, he wants right now within this Chelsea team. Not necessarily his players, but, you know, he's getting the yeah, liking yeah, to yeah, them. Yeah, but yeah. obviously, the system will change because we don't see Tuchel usually play with a back three and stuff. You know, we saw with PSG, Dortmund back for 4 3 maybe, or 4 But regardless, yeah, I don't think uh, the system will stay the same next season.
0: Mm, for me, it kind of feels like a stopgap at the minute, just to kind yeah. of push us to the end of the season. We've seen a really solid system so far. <laughs> maybe we'll get into the attack in just a second, but the attack does seem to be slacking a little bit in the final third. But it does look like Tuchel's just trying to get us into the end of the season as far as possible, yeah, be as but... solid as possible, and try and rely on the individual talent that we have. Because for me, with the attackers that we have... I'm looking to just have a really fluid, all-out-attack style of football. I think that that's, we do have the capabilities. Whether we have the balance with our players right now, I'm trying to wonder that. I still think that Kante and Kovacic, and Jorginho can play a style of football. But whether we need to get the balance around right the team. And last season, we didn't see the balance uh, as good as it could have been. We saw either like cricket scores or we saw games that we just couldn't break teams down. So, yeah, hopefully next season it's going to be a lot better with Tuchel but I'm really happy so far uh, under Tuchel he's been a class manager and I'm really looking forward to it. but now I'm just going to kind of move a bit up the pitch you know into the final third of the pitch I'm going to talk a little about the attackers now with RJ I just want to start by saying I think it's 11 goals in in 10 games so far under Tuchel not exactly setting the world on fire uh, on fire sorry and it does look like a, a little bit of a lack of cutting edge uh, in in the chance creation in in the final third and Considering the players we have, we're not kind of used to that as a Chelsea, as Chelsea fans recently, with like Mauricio Asari, Lampard, or attacking managers. So, Arja, I just want to talk to you a little bit about... Firstly, I want to talk to you about Hakim Ziyech, a player that I'm sure that you rate him as highly as I do. I think he's a, he's a world-class player on his day, on the right wing, swinging in them balls, you know, swing, swing, here, there, into the back post, Quincy Promise, at Stamford Bridge. But yeah, Ziyech has not looked himself that, that much... Under, under Tuchel so far, he seems to be playing quite centrally as, as a right cam instead of a right winger. And the one moment that I saw Ziek back to his whole self was against Liverpool, where he, he drifted wide for like one second and he already played a, a sick ball in behind Tavernus. So I just want to start with you about Ziek. Do you think that this system is suited to Ziek and do you think that he can be his best as a cam, or do you think that he has to play as a winger to, to be the Hakim Ziek that we all know and love?
1: Yeah, no, just to answer your first point, I do rate Hakim Ziedt quite a lot. And the reason why I do have that strong rating of him is because of his risk-taking and X-factor that he does bring. Yeah. Especially again, especially in a league now where the opposition has approved across the board and we are seeing a lot more discipline and structure. So I think someone like Azir is important to help disrupt that structure and discipline across the league. And as we know, with someone like him, he's someone that's not going to be a hundred percent efficient with what he does. Or in other words, he's someone that's willing to take on those more riskier progressive type passes. And for example, four out of, four out of five times it might not pay off, but it's that one time it does pay off that makes all the difference. Yeah. So I'd rather have someone that's going to have a go and he'll take on someone or do the dribble or, or continuously whip in those dangerous balls than someone that's trying to play it safe and stat pan. So that's why I have a lot of respect for him because not only does he back himself, but more often than not, well, at least during some portion of the game, backing himself is going to pay off at some point. But in terms of the system... This is where it starts becoming a little bit complicated for him because it's. I don't think it does get the best out of him. And I say that because playing in that care position, I think there's a lot more attention around him and there's a lot more things happening to sort of give him less time and ability to do what he does best. Whereas I think if you're playing on the wing, he could sort of get a bit of that freedom to operate a bit more on his own and have the ability to sort of make those crosses in. But yeah. I think when you're playing in that central position, because he does like to drift in, right? Mm-hmm. So And I think that's what's a good part of his game is he's not just a one-trick pony that just gets the ball and crosses. That's not what he's about. But I think on the balance, I think he's someone that probably enjoys a bit of that extra space out wide and having less attention on him. And let's face it, one of his assets is not his physicality and presence yeah, there yeah. that way. And I kind of feel sorry for him in many respects because more often than not, if we're playing a long ball or he's being caught up in the middle and he's having to try to press, et cetera, it's not it's not his strong suit. So I don't think you're going to – it's not really fair to say criticize the player when you're, pl- when you're deploying him suboptimally. But that's again, that's just something where I think you called it right before, Taryn. this is a probably more of a stopgap solution, and unfortunately, as part of that stopgap solution, players like Zidj are part of the, are a bit of a victim in that setup. Even though overall yeah. the mm-hmm. team stands to benefit from that, mm-hmm. I don't think it's the end of the road for him in terms of Chelsea, because I do think you're right, Arvid, and I probably would say that Tuchel will probably look to change things up formation-wise and look to have a little bit more focus on the top end of town or the forward parts of the pitch. And that's where I think is going to stand to benefit the most when we get a bit more balance between defence and attack.
0: Yeah, all really good points, RJ. I don't think I disagree with anything you said. As you know, spitting facts, RJ, as usual. But yeah, all, all really good points. Uh, I agree with everything. The fact that ZX player centrally, you know, when we're being pressed, sometimes we just have to Hit it long. Hope for the best. And Zeka is best when maybe the the fullbacks push forward, leave space on the wing, so he has more time to pick up the ball and and uses individual talent to to play them balls in behind, or over the top. And when Zierk's at his best, I think that he's probably the one player in on our team that has that X factor in his passing. I don't really feel with Jorginho, he has that. That X-Factor in his passing, like the likes of Fabregas used to have. I feel like Zeke does have that ability in his passing. Jorginho is a is a, world, a world-class player, I think, on his day. And the way in the system at the minute, he's looking really good. Maybe not world-class. I was a bit carried away there. But, yeah, yeah Jorginho. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say world-class. But, yeah, Jorginho is a great player in his in his own way. But Ziyech is a player with the X-Factor that we needed at this club since Fabregas kind of departed.
1: Yeah. And that one highlight, the one thing that just struck me, and sorry for jumping in, but the one sort of moment of play that sort of highlighted Ziyech in a nutshell was against the United performance. Daniel game. you might recall how Mason Mount went on that 40-yard run and scuffed his shot. Yeah. You know, but building up to that play, it was actually Ziyech's cute little pass that actually split two players and actually set Mason on that run. So I don't think any other player in that team is going to have the vision and ability to actually pull off such an audacious little pass to get Mm. Mason into that gap. So I think it's just those little things that can make all the difference. And on a different day, Mason round scores that and then people rewind the clock and say, oh, how did Mason get the ball? Mm. Oh, yeah, it's because he had done that gorgeous Mm. little pass that nobody saw coming. It's just Mm. those things that when it's your day, it's your day, but when it's not, then it's not.
0: Yeah, we've seen Ziyech. He can be really, really classy. He does have that moment in them that you just everyone just looks at him and awe. like at Stanford Bridge last season. I always come back to this moment on the channel, but at Stanford Bridge we saw maybe three individual moments of brilliance, and that was just his day, you know, the free kick there that hit Kepper in the face as a great finish by Kepper. But yeah, some other instances that was a really good performance, and I really want the whole Hakim Ziyech back because. We've seen instances of it at Chelsea, in the Premier League, Sheffield United, a really, really, really physical team that can bully players that maybe aren't as physical, you know, they, they can really get around you. But in that game, he just destroyed the whole team and he came he came into his own life. Obviously, the Burnley game, he got his debut goal, assisted to Burnley, was really good. And I just, I really want the best uh, for Ziyech because if he's on his game and he's playing well, he changes his whole, he changed the whole game for Chelsea FC and that's why we paid the money for him from Ajax. And... Yeah, I'm just going to talk a little bit about Christian Pulisic now. I Arvin, mean, I don't know if you know this, but Christian Pulisic was my lockdown all of summer, and yeah, I absolutely literally. loved Pulisic. I, I in the football group chat, that went, I was talking about him all the time, every single, every single chance, and it's really hurt me at the minute to see Pulisic not at his best. And I feel like when Pulisic is not fully fit, he looks a complete, complete shadow of himself. That when he is fit, he's destroying the whole Liverpool Premier League, Champions League, all the, all the league winning defense. He's destroying Man City's defence. He's destroying most defences in Europe. And to see Pulisic, who's worked with Tuka before, I'm sure that he will come good later on. When we He's maybe another player, as RJ said, it was a really good point, that some of these players are not benefiting with the change of system. It's more just benefiting the team as a whole. But he is a player that's maybe struggling. Playing. But I think that Pulisic can play as an, an inverted cam. Maybe he's better coming from wide driving in, but I still think that Pulisic can play. And we haven't seen enough starts from him to, to kind of do that. I think that he should start against Everton, for sure. Werner does kind of edge at the minute, but Pulisic can play Werner's role getting behind and even has that better first touch to maybe drive at defenders. So I really want to see the best of Pulisic and I hope that he can come good until the end of the season because we know what he can do. But Arvin, I'm going to get on to you now. I want to talk to you a little bit about Tammy Abraham. Obviously, I know that you do rate him as a player and... A lot of rival fans, well, you're not a rival fan, but you are a Bayern Munich fan and you do watch a lot of Chelsea. So, mm. Abraham is... We, as the Chelsea fans, see him as a really good finisher, a really good ender of moves, as you'd say. Maybe his hold-up play isn't as good. He maybe f- falls to the floor too much. But, yeah, I think that Abraham is a really, really good player on his day. Do you think that Chelsea should, like, be completely completely focused on Abraham as, you know, the next big striker at the club, maybe the next Drogba one day? Or do you think that we should maybe get a big striker to compete like the likes of Haaland or another big striker?
2: I, if I'm being honest, I don't really think Chelsea should, spe- uh, should spend that much money in the summer basing on uh, strikers because I feel like you should, uh, you should appreciate what you have in the likes of Tammy Abraham. You know, you still got Giroud firing from, I think he's got another two seasons, one season left in him. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I feel like you're not exactly in a position where you're sorted up front with Tammy Abraham because he's always got those... Yeah, these these moments where he just he's he's not on it and sometimes i do see that i'm like well chelsea do we need to invest but then that's where vernon's brought in but i feel like tammy abraham well, i don't know his situation obviously he's all getting started right now obviously we can't blame tuchel for that because right now he's just concentrating on getting the results he can't really. I don't think he has the time to work with individual players in the team because he's just trying to get results out of, the, out of the squad that he has. You know, he hasn't really made his own stamp yet. So we could see Tammy Abraham still being in two plans. I mean, he, I don't, I'm don't, i not sure if he's spoken about it, saying if Tammy Abraham is in his plans or is not. You know, we'll have to wait and see in the summer if he if he wants to sign that contract or, you know, if he rejects it or whatever. So, um, yeah, but Tammy Abraham... And when I watched him, you know, he does get goals. He does get goals. And after, after you know, a whole man's up for that, you know, he does get goals. I think last season got about a six... I think he got double figures. I think he got 16, but, you know, yeah, that's just off the top of my head. Term, think, and maybe. this season he has six. I think, yeah, 16. And then this six, I think he's Chelsea's top goal scorer this, uh, in the Premier League yes, this season. Yep. So, yeah, and again, yeah. And so you have to say, well he's not exactly brilliant, he doesn't always perform brilliant, but he still gets the goals. So, you know, you have to look at that and think, OK, we, you know, we can't play it up long term because maybe his hold-up play isn't that good, but, you know, that's always the things that you can improve. And it's, it's, really, it's really up to him whether he wants to fight for a place in the Chelsea team, improve on these little things, because he can be a good player on his day. And I feel like if he does get those things sorted out, like the hold-up play, maybe the... I feel like Chelsea need a more complete striker, uh, somebody you can feed it into or bring others into play. For feel mm. like Giroud does that pretty well, but, you know, we'll see. It, it is really up to him whether he does want to fight for a place, and I feel like that's make or break for a good player and a brilliant player. I feel like that's... You know, right now, I think it's the test for Tammy Abraham to say, do I want to leave or do I want to stay and fight for my place? And he's got to make mm. that decision.
0: For me, I want to see Tammy, like putting his body on the line, you know, fighting, because he's basically living the dream that every single Chelsea fan in the world dreams of every single day, you know. He's playing for Chelsea as a main striker, you know. he's He's been our top goal scorer last season, our top goal scorer this season. He needs to, instead of being down, sitting on the bench, you know, sulking, falling hmm. to the floor too easy, I want Tammy to fight because... I'm sure RJ will agree with me. We know what Tammy can do on this day. He's a really, really good striker. And he's from our academy. We back our academy players to the end. All of our players. But our academy players have that more sentiment to us since we've known him since he's like 15, not personally, but 15 or 16, like watching him in the academy. So we all really want Tammy to do well. But for me personally, I don't think we should go for a big striker this year or next season. I feel like we do have the firepower. Giroud can be good enough next season. He's still at high level. Kai Havertz can definitely play centre-forward at a really high level. Abraham is a great striker as well, so for me, I don't think we should go for a big striker. Quickly, before we move on to the fan questions, RJ, I want to get a take on this quickly. Do you think that next season we stick with Havertz, Abraham and Giroud or do you think that we need to bring in another player like Haaland? Like, we can't miss an opportunity for a generational talent like that.
1: Yeah, it's a really tough, tough question because I fully agree with both your sentiments. I do think that We have seen enough shades of brilliance from Tammy and his goal record and contributions shouldn't be underappreciated. I know that sections of the fan base like to highlight that it's the quality of the opposition he scores it against and he's not as refined or polished as the French Johnny Bravo as our (laughs) Chelsea social teammate, Jam, Jam, likes to call him. But at the same time... I do think someone like Tammy and the attributes he does offer in terms of his pace, his willingness to work hard, and he does and he has improved on his touch and he obviously can score a goal. I yeah. think it is somewhat attractive to Tuchel. And I think just as more time passes, if he's willing to put in the hard yards and adapt under that system, then I can't see why he doesn't have a future at the club despite some of the noise around him not possibly being very happy with the whole speculation yeah, about not. the striker position. But, yeah, I don't think... At this stage, I'm not convinced that we do need to go out and buy, but I know I'll get slated for this from the fan base <laughs> because, yeah, Haaland is gener—I I don't want to say generational talent, but he's obviously a very high-quality player, and we saw it he again is, recently is, against the great the great Bayern Munich team, although he <laughs> lost, but um. he, he, he personally played well. It's just whether or not do we want to splash that kind of cash on him because he's quality. But my question is I like to look at it as an overall. While you would improve undoubtedly in that forward position, is that money best spent there? And does he provide the maximum net benefit across the whole team? So if you split up the money you could have spent on him, could you have upgraded in other areas of the pitch that got you a better season overall? So I think that's how I like to look at it rather than, a singular player improving one position let's try to think of the mm. collective benefit so i don't think buying him does that necessarily but at the same time if he signed tomorrow i'd be the first one saying welcome <laughs> erling <laughs> so
0: yeah <laughs> that's that's an excellent point i think you brought up there about the kind of net spend being maybe shared around other positions i feel like harlan is going to be there and around 150 million pounds which is a vast amount of money that would Break record for striker, I'm sure. Maybe the only most expensive transfer apart from that has been Neymar's, if I'm not mistaken. Of and you know a little bit more about these these big transfers. Mbappé was 180 million. Mbappé, that's it. Yeah, but I feel like Haaland and Mbappé are kind of competing, and Mbappé was 189, and he's done really well, and I'm sure he will make profit later on. So for me, I do I do 100% agree with RJ. This is for me that I think that we could use that money to strengthen the DM and the centre back. As as R J said, yeah, I think that that is gonna be better than solely strengthening in a position where we already have good players that can that can play it to a really high degree. But anyways, guys, enough about Chelsea. We'll talk about that a little bit in the Everton section at the end. But let's go on to fan questions, R J. So I'm gonna start with the first question, R J. If you're ready, then just give me a shout. Ready to go. <laughs> so I'll start with the first question from Craig Cully. Thanks, thanks for, for messaging in, Craig. Honest opinions on the use of VER in the Prem compared to the Champions League and other leagues. Just very quickly.
1: I think we said it all before, didn't we? I'm not very yeah. impressed with the way that it's been used in a Premier League, simply put. That's all. Great question, though.
0: <laughs> yeah, great question. Craig, I, I promise you I did not I did not plan to um include this, but I just included it anyway. So let's go into the next question from Josh Forster. Always commenting, thanks, Josh. Who will win the Champions League this season, RJ? And there's only one answer to this.
1: Well, just for a bit of tongue-in-cheek, it won't be Bayern Munich. <laughs> oh, <it'll... laughs> well, obviously, they're paying a dollar one to win, of course, but why not the Blues? We're going to knock yeah. out Atletico in my mind, so let's go all the way. To right join. answer,
0: RJ. Right answer. Love that. Love that. That's a great answer. But yeah, oh, Arvin, sorry about that, mate. But, you know, Chelsea, Thomas equals tricky Blues, you know, yes. is. Oh, Next definitely. question. MK Johnson, always commenting as well. Thanks, MK. Rate your profile picture as well. Um, As an Italian, RJ i just want to know who's your favorite italian football player in the world right now
1: at the moment right now yeah, yeah. Barella. he's my favorite Barella. Wow. Barella. yeah it's been yeah. good or right probably Peter. i know i know it doesn't sound good for jorginho but i've got to be honest Varella's <laughs> quality player but i also enjoy Verratti at vsg He's another quality nice. midfielder so you yeah. like
0: them you like them deep line playmakers kind of don't you
1: yeah, I don't know why. I just think because because <laughs> I think I used to play in that sort of position, that sort oh, right. of you know you understand the midfield, role? So yeah, exactly. <laughs> get the all the pieces of the pie.
0: <laughs> yeah, literally. Like, is that a regista? Is that the right name for it? I'm not quite sure. Is it a regista? Um. But yeah. Uh, let's, let's move on to the yeah. next question. Um. From Diatavanguza. I'm sure you know Diatavaju. Always retweeting. He's a great guy. So he's asked quite a few questions in his tweet. So we'll try and get through them quite quickly. Maybe few few words on each one. So first one was how did you become a chelsea supporter rj it
1: was actually due through to my italian connection back in the late 90s so i'm showing my age here but <laughs> yeah with the guys like zola Viali, they nice. were part yeah. of my inspiration yeah
0: cool that's yeah iconic players iconic players di mateo as well um exactly in which position will chelsea end the season good question good question
1: I think third, to be honest. That's just a straight shot, I'm guessing. But hopefully it's just in the top four.
0: Cool, cool, cool. Top four, top four. Third, I, I think second, but that's just me. You know, I am RJ, so yeah, I'll say second. But love it. next, <laughs> Next question. Um, All from Dieter, by the way. Um, Which transfer would you make in the summer? Just one transfer.
1: To be honest with you, I'd probably go with Declan Rice. I don't know. I'm sure I'll get slanted for that. Thank but you. I, I would. I would. I know it doesn't look good from the club's point of view that we re-bought someone that we let go but I think look past that reputational sort of question mark I think he fills a lot of question marks so that's just RJ, my point of view
0: you don't know how many times I've said that on this podcast so many times since Tuchel's been here i still saying Declan Rice is the man I was saying this in the summer I want him as a centre-back even back then but yeah I want Declan Rice at the club but yeah next question we've already kind of answered that on Craig Cully's question but do you know what? let's hear it again Chelsea prop all the way how far will Chelsea go in the Champions League
1: or is this from Dieter? Just checking.
0: Yeah, yeah, Dieter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. D-
1: just want to shout him out. I think he done a <laughs> does great job for us, and love your questions. So, yeah. is how far will we go? Is that what, what was the question? Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, all the way. That's it. <laughs> True <laughs> blue. That,
0: we're gonna win the Champions League, Dieter. Had it here first the, the, in the perfect match. Exactly,
1: exactly, <laughs> and the double, and the FA Cup.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're gonna win the we're gonna win the Premier League as well. You know about it. Yeah, why not? Just throw it in there. Man City lost today. So yeah, next question from uh, Patrick Larson. Big Patrick, I owe you so much. Thanks for the question. Um, Have you back on the podcast very soon. The last episode we did was great, but he says, hi guys, RJ, Taran, and I'm a big fan of yours. Do you think that Thomas Tuchel will make any big transfer moves this summer? If so, what two moves do you think he'll make?
1: Great questions, Patrick, and shout you out, legend. Love your optimism, buddy. Keep up the great work. Yeah. So, the two moves I think you'll make well, one of them I'm hoping is Declan Rice coming in, of course. Mm. But the other one, in terms of if he's thinking of a move as a sell or a buy, but if mm. we just interpret it as a buy. So, I said one of them would be nice if it was Rice, but the uh, unintentional rhyme. <laughs> but the other one I would say is probably, I don't know, I don't think. I don't think he'll make any changes defensively once he does assess the incoming lone E players. I think it's more on the, the top end of the pitch. I, as much as I don't like it, I do think that he might look to reinvest in a forward if he's thinking that Giroud's getting a bit on and also mm. if he thinks Tammy might not have the mental strength or, or the willingness yeah, to yeah. want to fight for his spot long-term. It's not what I want, just to stress, but I think that's what might be on the cards.
0: Yeah, for me as well, I'll just kind of answer this as well as Patrick kind of asked all of us this, but for me, I don't think that was going to go for Declan Rice and there's no way Marina's going to allow that 100%. He's not going to be a board signing, he's not going to be um, a manager-driven signing. So I do think that one player, I just have a feeling like deep inside my guts, I think that we will sign Marquinhos in the summer. That's just who I think we're going to sign as a DM to kind of cover that position and more squad depth in the midfield. Another player that I think he's going to sign is going to be Donnarumma. I think he's going to be on a free. I think Kepa will yeah. go out and Donnarumma is a really likely signing for us. It does seem like a yeah. sign that Chelsea will make. Um, maybe, I, for me, an upgrade on Mendy. I think Donnarumma, I've watched quite a lot of him for AC Milan. He's been class this season. Good with his feet. Solid shot stopper, kind of like your Edison. Maybe not as good with his feet as Edison, but, you know, I feel like it's good. But Arvin, do you want to answer this question quickly as well before we move on?
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hmm? Oh, sorry. What question was that?
0: Um, two players that you think Tuchel will sign for um for Chelsea.
2: Oh, okay. Um, me personally, I don't, have much of a input in Chelsea's chances But um, going back on the Marquinhos topic, I, I, actually don't think that um Chelsea will sign him because I think he's, uh, I think he's about to sign another contract with PSG. I'm not too sure. I think, I think he might. So there's a rumor floating about. But um, no, I think call cool, might go for Dennis Sakaria. I don't know. I, I can just see it. I feel like he's got the perfect blend of the ball-playing sort of role and the physical signing game. I feel like he'd be someone that would be suited perfectly for the Premier League. The mm. second signing, yeah, I'll, I'll go with Donnarumma. I feel like, you know, on a free... Mm. You know, no... <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's... I don't know why Chelsea wouldn't take him, so I think he will sign for Chelsea and pass. I don't know if the club have full trust in Edu Mendes considering that um, obviously, he's 29 and stuff, so I think they will sign Donnarumma.
0: Mm, yeah, very realistic signing, Donnarumma. I think that it is a Marina signing, you know, it is a Marina signing, free, you know, Marina, all about the free transfers, lunch joke, but yeah, I think that that probably will happen in the summer. So yeah, let's move on to kind of last round to kind of touch on the Everton game. As time of recording, it's tomorrow night, 6 pm UK time, so I'm going to start with RJ, same kind of orders before RJ. I just want to get your opinions a bit on Everton. I'm not sure how much of Everton you've watched this season, but I you expecting Everton to kind of press us high, as as we've seen Barnsley, Southampton, Sheffield United, all kind of press us high. Maybe Liverpool, I'm not going to include them. They're a very, very depleted team. But yeah, all them other teams kind of pressed us, confined us, and we did seem to have issues getting out of the defence, you know. We went long ball, lost the ball quite a lot. So, But we did see the Everton game early in the season. They sat back, got one goal literally put about four centre-backs in the back four, sat in front of defence, and they got the one to win in the end. So do you think that they're going to kind of go all out attack, or do you think they're going to be quite conservative?
1: Yeah, I think they're going to be quite pragmatic, to be honest with you. And have mm. been watching a fair bit of Everton and I've been speaking about them again on this sort of generic Premier League pod we run. Yeah. But I think the way that they've been grinding results, and I have full respect for Carlo Ancelotti, given what he'd done for us at the Blues, of course. Yeah, But I'm not very convinced in the manner of which they're performing, even though they're getting these results, even though that's the most important thing. So I do think they're not going to try to come at us because there's it's a, it's a cagey game from their point of view, given how close they are to the top four. So I don't think they're going to want to have yeah, an all yeah. or nothing type of sort of game. Mm-hmm. So I probably wouldn't be surprised if they do sit back and try to hit us on the break and just really keep their shape.
0: Yeah, for me, yeah. I do think that Everton... Will probably play four centre backs. So I feel like Godfrey will come back in. I feel like it will be Godfrey, Holgate, Mina if he's fit, and Michael Keane all starting. Trying to you know put a bit of physicality on Timo Werner a little bit, maybe a little bit on Ziyech if he starts or Pulisic. But for me, I don't think Everton are gonna attack us a lot. Um, but we have seen under Tuchel so far against low blocks. You know we have your Hudson odois driving. We have your Alonzo's. You know being that false kind of striker at the back post, and we have. Giroud, who's really comfortable playing against low blocks, so for me it'll it'll kind of be really really silly for Everton to sit back. They need to have a balance between both. They can't be too extreme of both sides of the coin. A little pun that other yeah. side of the coin, but yeah, I think that they, yeah, I feel like they have to be quite pragmatic, as you said, Arvin. What do you think about this as, as a huge Everton fan, as I know you are?
2: <laughs> yep, huge Everton fan. Um, no, I feel like this this game. I feel like this game is more important than Manchester United game because. They're saying not if not. I'm. Um, I'm just uh, projecting. If Chelsea were to lose this game, Tottenham can go in front of you. West yeah. Ham on the on. Uh, yeah, Tottenham could go in front of you because they've just. I think. Yeah, it's it's four one to them against Crystal oh Palace God. at the time of yeah. recording. Mm-hmm. Uh, West Ham could go in front of you. Uh, the Liverpool can't, but that can mean that you can drop down to seventh by next week, which will be an absolute disaster for your top four chances, because right now the Premier League is very congested. Obviously, you've got Leicester in front of you and Man United in front of you. You're trying to reach and keep up to you. They're, they're a bit further away than you might expect, you know, 7.6 points, but I feel like they're still very reachable because Leicester are a bit inconsistent. You know, they've got a lot of injuries to the likes of Harvey Barnes, James mm. Madison. I think he's injured as well. Then they're playing Daniel Mai uh, at centre-back. So, um, yeah. So Everton, um, I always know Carlo Ancelotti for the direct play that they do, especially um, coming from a Bayern fan, you know, he did manage us for about a year and a half. So, um, yeah, yeah, the directness of the football that they have between the likes of Hammers, Rodriguez, Dominic Cavalier and Richarlison, um I'm not sure whether one of them's injured, but I feel like if if they start those three, they do have a chance because obviously you've got the quality, you've got the experience of Hammer's Rodriguez, the goal scoring Dominic Cavalier, and Richardson has been a bit inconsistent, but you know, when he pops up he just scored a winner against um I think it was West Brom. Was it West Brom?
0: Yeah, West Brom, yeah.
2: Yeah, West Brom, yeah, exactly. So, you know, you've got all these players, but it's whether Everton can really, you know, have does Tom does Dominic Cavan really perform on the when he's needed or does Richardson perform when he's needed? Hammonds Rodriguez has had like just like a two month goal drought before he ended it about a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, you gotta take all these factors in and it's, it's what it's what Chelsea will sort of, you know, whether they go attacking or whether they play the same system. So, you know, it's it's really it's really the game of neutral. So I think this game might end in a nil nil again, but we'll see.
0: Hopefully not, man. Hopefully not. I want an entertaining game, you know. I don't want the kind of cricket, basketball scores we saw last season. But I'm hoping for a few goals, you know, clean sheet, cheat, clean sheet, three, four 0 last season. Billy Gilmore masterclass, as we all know. But yeah, we're gonna kind of move on to that final section of this, of this, um, of this podcast. We're gonna kind of do a predicted lineup very, very quickly from the guys. Um, Arvin, we can start from you if you want to start a predicted lineup from Everton. For the game, and I'll get predict lineup for for Chelsea from from RJ.
2: Um, I feel like Cam Hudson and Doyle will definitely start this game because I feel like right now, especially coming off of Everton's left hand side. They don't exactly you know they haven't exactly got Andy Robertson and Sadio Mane. I feel like Rhys James was only there to nullify that that um yeah, left-hand yeah, side yeah. of Liverpool that they have. So I feel like Callum Hudson Doy will start at right wing back. Obviously, you wanted to see him play left wing back. <laughs> I feel like that's one <laughs> I feel like that's one change they can make. Whether Marcus Alonso coming in, no Chilwell has been, you know, he's been a consistent performer of the past two games that he was just brought in when Alonso has been dropped. So yeah, yeah. uh I feel like Jorginho and Kovacic will return to the midfield again because I feel like especially you don't you don't have those Allen is a workhorse but I'm not sure for a start you know Everton do have a very conservative midfield so I feel like you will start Kovacic and Jorginho just to match yeah, their yeah. midfield so um, going off forward I feel like you'll stick with the same front three I feel like you will uh, Werner, Mount and Ziek, but obviously I think Ziek might be dropped uh, I'm not sure about Mount but obviously you Mount isn't uh starting against Alasco. So I feel like he will play the next two he will start the next two games against Everton yeah, yeah. Leeds. Yeah. So yeah. I feel like that that is the team. That's you know, a couple of changes. I don't think Tuchel would change it too much because obviously he'll, he'll want to keep that balance within team, the chemistry. So yeah, I, I feel that like, uh, mainly the main but only a couple of, mainly the main lineup against Liverpool, but only Kovacic mm-hmm. and uh Cam coming in
0: yeah we, it's already been confirmed by two kind of that kante won't be playing the full 90 minutes in this yeah. game i'm guessing he's going to come off the bench as a as a kind of like holder of the of the lead uh, protecting the back four and all of that but yeah i'll go into rj now rj what' was your kind of predictor lineup for chelsea are you expecting something similar to the to Liverpool game after a huge huge win it was or are you gonna kind of go down and maybe resting some of the key players and kind of going into that Leeds game with a really st- a really, like, uh, really fresh team as for the high-pressing system.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably a good point. I reckon that we will see a couple of swaps, but it's just trying to manage the juggling act and not getting the balance wrong and, and mixing up the team too much where you lose a lot of that momentum and chemistry. Yeah, I do think we'll probably line up with the same centre-back pairings with Mendy and Goal. I do think that Hudson Odoi will play in right wing back. Yeah, I do think that. I do think Alonso will be given a nod because mm-hmm. I think that he'll want to have Chilwell for the, for the Leeds game and then coming up after that. Mm-hmm. Then I think in the pivot pairing we'll probably see a set up, given obviously the Kante remarks about managing him carefully.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I also think yeah. I also think then up front we'll probably see. I don't know. I think because of the way that I expect Everton to sort of sit back, I do expect Giroud to start up top and I do expect um, Werner and Mount to flank on each side because I'm, what I'm hoping to see is that if Everton play the way we expect them to play and offer us a lot of room to play in their area, is that the likes of Giroud will be able to bring in the Mounts and Verner's of the world to help integrate mm. them better into that opposition penalty area. He hasn't been sensational lately, Giroud, but I think he has a lot of a better opportunity to use his hold-up play and link-up play more so than someone like a Tammy or a Werner in that actual mm. position. But I'm just actually hoping, guys, that we probably see some more minutes from both Pulisic and also Havertz as well because yeah, I yeah. want to see them to start finding some form as we hit the business end of the season.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's interesting you said Havertz. So personally... I would not play him in this game. It's gonna be a low block. They're gonna be really, really physical. You know, Everton, Holgate, Mina, all really, really big defenders. I don't think Havertz. We saw in the in the reverse fixture Havertz played like as a right forward kind of in the 4-3-3. Wasn't his best game in the world. So for this game, I've literally basically agreed with all of your all of your lineup, uh, RJ. Basically with, with um, Jovicic in the midfield, the the, the duo. Hasan Odoi going to be back in on the right, Alonso back in on the left. Same kind of back four. But for me, I do feel like Timo Werner will start up front. For some reason, I do think he will start. Giroud was quite ineffective last time against Everton. I feel like Werner can get in behind the little pockets, you know, use his pace to maybe get him behind if they're kind of pressing us. So for me, I think that Pulisic will start this game. As much as... I really want ZX. So again, I think it will be Pulisic, Mount and Werner. We saw in the Burnley game, a two calls, first win, that they played really well as a front three. Werner, Werner, Mount and Pulisic, really fluid, really pacey, really good link up play. So I want more of that to kind of be a trio that trouble the defenders, draw the centre backs out a little bit. And then we get Callum Hudson and also there to drive the defence, cause some issues. Alonso to drift into the box, be the aerial threat that Werner isn't really. So for me, I really hope that front three starts. I think it'll be really effective. And yeah, that is kind of getting to the end of this vi- of this not video, this podcast, guys. We've discussed a lot of topics in, the- in this podcast. It's been a really, really good discussion with RJ. We're just going to get some final thoughts from the guys. I'll start with Arvin. Arvin, how have you enjoyed the podcast? And is there anything you'd like to say to our listeners?
2: Um, yeah, I've enjoyed the podcast as ever. Um, brilliant to talk uh, football, especially. Pleasure to have... Uh, RJ on you know talking about Chelsea, also talking about Inter. You know, a slightly different topic that we haven't really discussed yeah, yeah. outside of the Premier League. Obviously, VAI. Yeah, I did, I did get a bit passionate about that, but you know we'll allow it. But um, yeah, it's been really nice talking. Obviously, passionate about football, and as I say, ball is life. <laughs>
0: As your, your catchphrase, mate. But yeah, it's really nice we talked about some different topics. I, I'm always down to talk about different leagues. We are a, a worldwide football podcast, so it's really nice to talk about that. But let's go on to the main man, RJ. RJ, how have you enjoyed the podcast today? And is anything you like to plug, uh, any any particular blogs that you like to, to plug, your Twitter, anything like that? Just say whatever you like. It's your time now.
1: Yeah, firstly, just want to say thanks very much guys. It's been a real pleasure for me to be welcomed on as a special guest and I think it's funny because you're giving me all the plaudits but I think I'm the <laughs> one who gained the most out of this conversation getting some great insights from you both so I really appreciate that I'm always looking to not only share my knowledge and passion of the game but equally mm-hmm. in return gain some great perspectives because that's how I think we enrich in our experience and knowledge of the game. But just from my point of view, I've really enjoyed this episode. Got some great perspectives from you, Arvin, as well as from a Munich sort of side of the world, as well as your points of view regarding the not-so-sensational use of VAR here in the Premier League.
2: Yeah.
1: But um, just overall, guys, I think what I'm hoping in the end is that, firstly, Chelsea secure top four win both cups, Arvin. sorry mate, that means it's not good for Bayern Munich, I know, but don't worry, runners-up is still good, it's all good. Oh yeah. <laughs> it might have happened once, you might remember in 2012, but we won't go there.
2: <laughs> I do not fondly remember that <laughs> night, but... Yeah. Exactly,
1: oh don't worry, we have plenty of heartbreak, but also I'm just hoping that Inter also secured a Serie A for the first time in a long time as well, so fingers mm. crossed guys, and just as a bit of a personal plug, as you, as you know, and and you brought it up as well, Taryn. I'm a writer and editor for the Chelsea Social. They provide some pretty high-quality content, in my opinion, not just articles, but also podcasts, YouTube streams, as also actual very nice edits. So give them a follow on Twitter as well and Instagram, etc. I also run or co-host two podcasts. First being the Balanced Blues Brothers podcast, and that's just a very Analytical, deep dive, tactical type forum to talk all things Chelsea and other things. And the last one is a local one I run with a couple of mates that I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Arvin, you mentioned that ball is life. We have another saying, it's a football thing. And that's what we talk about here. And everything revolves around football, my friend. So I'd recommend you guys having a bit of a check out of those because they bring you all different things and hope you enjoy it. So thanks again, guys. I really appreciate this opportunity.
0: Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, yeah, it's been a really, really good discussion. Hopefully, me and Arvind could be on your it's a football thing and kind of bring our ball life kind of catchphrases onto that soon. But yeah, it's been a really good discussion, guys. We'd love guys. it. <laughs> cool. We'll, we'll pencil that down, as we mentioned before. We'll pencil that down. But yeah, it's been a really, really good discussion with the guys. I've really enjoyed it. Covered a lot of topics. And just as a final note from me, I hope Chelsea can get second place in the league. Man United, they beat Man City, but you never know what's going to happen with Man United at the minute. I hope that Inter can win a Serie A for you, RJ, I hope Bayern will not win the Champions League. You no, know, just joking. Of. And I hope Bayern can secure the Bundesliga, you know, Leipzig are a bit up there at the minute. But yeah, hopefully you can get it through. No worries. Uh, it's cool, it's cool, it's cool. Yeah, but it's been a really good discussion. And I'm going to sign out, guys. You know, it's, make sure to keep things perfect. This has been Tara, your host. Have a nice day and take care. Bye.